You can subscribe to these radio shows by way of the Substack button at truthjihad.com. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Highest moment in the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome to the live version of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett broadcasting live here on Revolution.Radio every Friday evening, and I bring on the best people I can find who have something outside the corporate mainstream box to say about the most important issues that are not being properly covered by the the corporatists and the uh, lackeys of the established order and all those folks. Well, tonight we have a terrific show. Second hour, Ken Meyercord comes on. He was on, I think, maybe about six months ago. He's back now to discuss his article, 9-11, The Controlled Demolition of Truth. And uh, caveat emptor, buyer beware. Some of that article, I think, is completely crazy. (laughs) He rejects the controlled demolition theory. Uh, But uh, he also gets one thing right, which is that there were likely some remote controlled planes in operation on 9-11. So we'll have a really interesting conversation there in the second hour with Ken Meyercord. First hour, back on the show, uh, one of my heroes, Foster Gamble. He's Uh, working with his wife, Kimberly Gamble, on the Thrive movies. And the Thrive 2 movie is out, and it is great. Uh, Fantastic follow-up to the original Thrive movie of, what was it, almost a decade ago or something like that. Uh, These are really some of the best uh, alternative media efforts out there, and they raise all kinds of really good questions across the board, from political to spiritual uh, and everything in between. So, Let's talk about some big and broad subjects. Welcome, Foster Gamble. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be in conversation with you again. Yeah, so congratulations on this film. It's uh, another uh, blockbuster. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I I almost go into a trance watching the Thrive movies, it seems like. They're so good. (laughs) And and the production values uh, plus the – I'm not quite sure how to describe the atmosphere of these films – with the kind of content that you cover is so unique. Uh, so I, they're like a peak experience for me. Well, I'm really glad to hear that from you. I, you know, I follow a lot of what you do, and I really appreciate your perspective and your courage with, with what's going on in the world. So thanks for tuning in to Thrive 2, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, it raises one one really, really interesting question kind of right at the beginning, and it kind of takes off from there, which is this unified field concept, which is maybe sort of the quasi-equivalent of the Islamic notion of Tawheed, the unification or making it one, or at least the maybe the mystical version of that. And the question is, is the unified field the physics breakthrough that Einstein couldn't quite figure out? Or is it, as Kimberly says in the movie, a living force within us? Uh, Is it (laughs) spiritual and health related or is it a free energy technology? (laughs) I mean, uh, 
it's it, that, it's such a fascinating question to find the parallels between these different aspects of uh, of kind of the, the same thing manifesting itself in all these different areas. Well, that's what's so beautiful about it is it, it literally unifies all that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think humanity could really use uh, a broader perspective right now and particularly one that not only simplifies uh, how we think that the universe works, but actually brings together the scientific principles with the ethical principles, because the science has really been stolen and, and ethics has been thrown out the window. So we have come to realize that um, we are in what seems to be a boundless field of virtually infinite energy at every point. And that field seems to be alive and we're not separate from that field. That field completely permeates us and we're just a an amazing complex of whirlpools that seems to be cohered by consciousness, by our own, you know, by Kevin's consciousness, uh, cohering all of these trillions of cells and molecules and electrons and subatomic particles and so forth. And they're all just whirlpools in this continuous sea of energy. So that's a tremendous simplification. And what we showed in Thrive One, and a lot more of that's coming out in scientific papers uh, very soon, literally could be in the next few weeks, um, is that what has been missing is an understanding of the geometry, of the patterning of the unified field. And if you understand sufficiently how nature designs, how nature builds in the unified field, it gives you access to free energy, to incredible healing, to psychic phenomena. And it just goes on and on because we're finally starting to harmonize with how the universal field, the un unified field, how the energy flows in that field rather than trying to burn it or explode it or violate it ethically. So uh, is this, uh, is the unified uh, field um, uh, is is it manifesting itself as a material world, and is is that actually sort of an illusion? In other words, um, you know, I, I've always found the materialistic philosophy that ultimately says we are just epiphenomena of matter, and specifically of the matter in our brains that's causing neurons to fire, and that what we think of as consciousness is really just this illusion that's created by the neurons firing. And this is actually kind of the official dogma of the powers that be in this age. And I'm pretty sure it's wrong and <laughs> that it's actually the material world that is an epiphenomenon of consciousness and that this energy that you're talking about that vibrates and that turns into whirlpools uh, or toruses uh, is really the baseline of existence. And what we think of as, as matter is just these kinds of knots or whirlpools in the primordial consciousness energy. Uh, would you agree with me that the kind of physics that you're talking about is really revolutionizing uh, or really overthrowing uh, materialism? Absolutely. It's transcending materialism. It's unpacking what material really is. And I was actually in, a little while ago, I was in an interesting private conversation with one of the tr top transhumanists um, who 
absolutely believes that consciousness is just an epiphenomenon of this random behavior of electrons and so forth, and that there is no, nothing that's metaphysical, and there's no nothing beyond uh, death, there's nothing beyond the rational mind and so forth. And so, and almost every major transhumanist that I've talked to believes that. And that's fine. They can believe whatever they want, except the problem is that that in most cases, it means they're terrified of dying because they think that they're going to disappear. And well, you know, either we're going to disappear and we're not even going to know it, or there's another possibility. So I said to him, because uh, this is a super bright guy out of China, one of the top academics ever to come out of China. And I said, so, you know, you're a, you're a really good thinker. So follow me here for a minute. Who do you think you are? And he said, well, obviously, I'm my body. And I said, OK, what's your body made up of? Well, it's all these cells. What's your cells made up of? It's molecules. It's atoms. And I said, well, what are the atoms are made up? And he said, subatomic particles. And I said, well, what are those? And his jaw just dropped. And he goes, I don't know. And I said, well, the physics is showing now what the metaphysics, the, the, the mystics for generations have been telling us that we that our consciousness is metaphysical and it coheres these whirlpools into things that science then calls atoms and, and cells and all that kind of stuff. And every cell in your body has been replaced within the last seven years. This guy's name was Ted. I, I said, so, Ted, you've been there all along. So what cohered? your essence as all those cells got replaced and to his credit he said i've never had this thought before in my life so we went into several hours of metaphysical talk and he he wanted books and, and videos and so forth and, uh, and when he left he he said you know i think you may be onto something really big here <laughs> it sounds like uh, maybe there could be a good ted talk coming up on this <laughs> yeah that would be uh, great it's a good idea a reformed transhumanist. We need more of those. <laughs> right. Ted could do the TED Talk. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, uh, how, a, how a transhumanist uh, became an apostate from that faith. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm that. curious. You know, I, I, I know it's your job to ask the questions here, but since it's rare I get to talk with you, I would love to hear a little bit more about, because I know you've really been studying Islam, what does the spiritual masters say about this unified field about this this talid well uh tawhid is a core concept of islam and at one level the kind of the, the obvious level and and the superficial level it means just professing the oneness of god as kind of the ultimate source of all being uh, but at a more sort of metaphysical or mystical level tawhid involves the actual experience of this divine oneness. And so people who've been blessed to be able to experience a taste of that and the, the taste or the velk is, is the uh, goal of, of mystics uh, are, are getting kind of a God's eye view of things by actually directly having that taste or slight perception of, uh, of that primordial uh, oneness. And so it's, I think it is a way of talking about something pretty similar to what you and others are talking about with the notion of the unified field. And then a lot of the corollaries, uh, things like the psychic abilities that develop when people are uh, seeing things or in that kind of state of consciousness and so on, are very much a part of, uh, of Islamic mysticism, which is, of course, that's, that's the part of Islam that really uh, excited me when I first discovered it, and that's why I studied it in the academy. 
Yeah, we actually closed Thrive 2 with a quote from the Sufi mystic uh, Rumi where, where he says, yeah, you know, you're, uh, remember, you are not a drop in the ocean. You are the ocean in a drop. And the times that I've been in, in inside a mosque or really had a chance to appreciate the Arabic art, there's such incredible patterning that I've had the feeling that, that must have come out of mystical visions because you see it, you know, with psychedelics, you see it with plant medicine, you, you see it from the shamans and the, the Zen priests and so forth. They're, they've all glimpsed the innate energy patterning of this unified cosmos. That's right. Yeah, if you look at uh, pictures or if you're lucky enough to go there, the actual uh, ceiling of the Masjid al-Aqsa Dome on the Rock in occupied Jerusalem, Al-Quds, it's kind of a series of concentric fractal patterns with the representation of sort of the, the center of the fractal out of which all the other fractals are emanating would be sort of giving you a sense of, uh, of God as the ultimate source of all being as absolute oneness. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned the Dome of the Rock because legend has it that the Ark of the Covenant uh, was hidden uh, there for uh, for a long time. And whoever created the Ark of the Covenant, which Graham Hancock and Nassim Haramein and I and a lot, a lot of other people who've really looked into it, we believe that it, it you know wasn't a little cabinet for for some clay tablets. It was actually a capacitor. It was a free energy device, probably brought here, at least what charged it from inside the capacitor, probably a from a, from extraterrestrial visitation. And if anybody's going to create one of those devices, and I've spent 20 years looking at at inventions that people have made, most of which don't work, but a few, thank God, do. Uh, they've all got a fundamental understanding of the nature, the fundam- the the basic patterning of the universe is this torus, this donut-shaped whirlpool of energy, because it's the only pattern that sustains itself in a homogeneous medium, like a whirlpool in a stream or something like that. So at every scale, from the, the smallest that we can can even uh, measure uh, with our instruments, the, these, what they call the Planck spherical unit, all the way up to, to the solar systems and galaxies and clusters and so forth. And now they're saying this universe itself has to be toroidal. So I think anybody who had a device that would propel, you know, access energy and then propel counter to gravity to get here from some other planet or solar system or dimension, I think they obviously had an understanding of how this patterning worked, and they were designing their technologies in harmony with it, and that's what we need to do now. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me, and it raises questions about why this kind of knowledge has been marginalized so thoroughly, and you almost have to be some kind of conspiracy theory. You have to come up with with a, a theory about a conspiracy to account for this, because, you know, by definition, a conspiracy is more than one person doing something immoral or illegal. And certainly there must be a bunch of people working together to do what certainly seems immoral, to be suppressing uh, these kinds of knowledge and sometimes doing so quite violently and in a cruel way. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, this is where, you, you know, your, your movies might have been greeted with more support from the mainstream or at least lack of, <laughs> of rotten fruit if you hadn't basically been honest about dealing with the fact that we seem to be ruled by some seriously uh, bad people. 
Um, and yeah. unless they, you know, unless there's something going on that's hard to imagine, it really seems like uh, the current most powerful folks on planet Earth uh, don't have our best interests at heart. And maybe you could talk a little bit about, about that and how, you know, how you see the suppression of both uh, spiritual knowledge and free energy technology serving the interests of whoever's doing it. Yeah, well, certainly the mainstream would have liked Thrive One better, but actual human beings, uh, free will human beings, <laughs> appreciated it beyond any any documentary in history. There's over 92 million documented views, and that's more than any other documentary uh, prior to that. So um, we were thrilled because we didn't know whether anybody would be interested, whether anybody would take it seriously. And fortunately, people uh, really want to know what's going on so that they can do something effective about it. And that's why the the powers that want to be in control of everything don't want us to know this. They don't want ex- us expanding our consciousness and, you know, experiencing our direct connection of God with God. They don't want us accessing free energy because then they can't control us through doling out um, their fossil fuel energy. They don't want us knowing about um, about healing techniques uh, because then they can't control us through the sort of medical tyranny that's obviously expanding exponentially across the planet right now. And when it comes to free energy, first of all, I, I've finally seen probably half a dozen now different devices that uh, that have proven to me that they are accessing free energy and to my en- to my engineer. So it's here and predicted in Thrive One. They're all accessing this energy of the universe resonance rather than exploding or fizzing or fusing or any of that of that type of violent approach you know the universe won't give you what you want violent with it if you actually blend humbly with it whether this is in meditation or in the in the laboratory it'll give you everything that you need it's an incredible universe to be living in but they they don't want us to have access to all of this. And I've got uh, some acquaintances who are very up in the military in secret projects who have told me in great detail that they already have uh, anti-gravity. They've already got different ways of accessing free energy. And I think that they've gotten this from crashed craft. They've gotten it from stealing people's uh, attempts to patent various energy devices and so they want it for themselves they want it for the military they really want it for the deep state because they clearly i mean you know well uh, and i'm sure your audience is very familiar with this they've been in the process for some period of time of wanting to take over literally every sector of human endeavor and then control everybody you know just the same way that Mao and Pol Pot and Stalin and the rest of them did, except this time they want to kind of fulfill their dream of doing it on the global scale where there's nobody to come to the rescue. There's no place to run, no place to hide. So they're actually very close to that. And I also don't think that they're going to succeed for lots of wonderful natural reasons. And how does the the COVID uh, pandemic or pandemic situation uh, fit into this? you Thrive 2 came out uh, in time to discuss that. So Yeah, we uh, actually had to go back in. We we wrapped about two weeks before the COVID lockdown. (laughs) And so we literally had to go back in and 
and edit in sections to make it relevant to what we saw was coming. And in a nutshell, um, to anybody who's been doing research, it's pretty obvious that this is their next excuse for domination. You know, it's a giant global medical false flag, the same way that 9-11 was an excuse to do the Patriot Act and the NDAA and invade eight countries in the Middle East and all that kind of stuff. This is an excuse to uh, to shut uh, people's businesses down and centralize those businesses in, 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 under the ones that they control. It's been uh, an excuse to try to get uh, microchips and toxins and everything into everyone's body so that then they can use 5G to, to control people through that. And, you know, the list just goes on and on. This is a, a dream come true for the global domination agenda to all of a sudden have this global authority and they're just trying to do everything they can to put it in concrete before enough people wake up to do what they're doing in Hong Kong and Paris and Melbourne. Uh, and I hope we see, hope we see it here more in the United States coming up soon of actually standing up to this tyranny and saying, no, you know, we don't believe your lies. We're not going to allow you to take over our, our lives and you guys are out of business. Well, it is happening here. My friend Kat McGuire has been organizing the freedom rallies in New York City, and they got thousands of people out in the streets last weekend. Kat yeah, I listened to me. your interview with her. That was awesome. It was yeah, really good yeah, to she, see. It's, it's wherever the police state is happening most severely, like in Melbourne and New York, fortunately, you know, people are saying, oh, this, I guess this is real, and they're taking to the streets. So, yeah, I was glad to hear her report. Yeah, and I hope it spreads uh, because it is it is getting uh, kind of uh, depressing to see the the level of tyranny ra- rising to the point where you know, people are having to show their papers, please, to just you know go in the restaurant. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so, so do you, in the film, you suggest that the Western bankster cabal—I don't think you call it that, but you definitely call it bankster cabal—is uh, behind this, and you suggest that. Some of the more independent countries without central banks like Iran, uh, North Korea and, and Libya before they destroyed it, uh, maybe Syria are in the crosshairs of these globalists precisely because they don't have central banks. And it may be that Russia and China are also a bit more independent and not totally controlled by the Western central banks. Should we be uh, hoping that these relatively independent countries will win the face-off between the, the Western globalist bankster empire uh, and, and this new Eurasian axis? Or it, is your attitude that really you know, both sides are equally problematic? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a very nuanced issue because I think one of the most dangerous forces on the planet right now is the CCP, is the, the Chinese Communist Party. So uh, when it comes to China, it's really the Asian dragon families, they, these ancient royal families who are the wealthiest people on the planet because of all the, the gold that they've mined and, and uh, hoarded uh, for all these years. And they have a spiritual covenant um, with their sense of the divine to bring these resources out to the world to do a, uh, a um, basically forgive uh, debt, uh, all debt internationally and underwrite various nations as long as countries like the United States are willing to have a multipolar world 
uh, and basically share the world with other people rather than to try to dominate it. I don't think that's true for the Chinese Communist Party. My my research shows me that the the deep state is totally global. It's international. Yeah, you know, you're you're going to find uh, people from Israel, people from uh, Saudi Arabia, people from South America, Africa, and so forth. The, the, that's the international cabal is not just Western anymore. Now it's really international, and they uh, they're. When I say they're very close to taking over the world, you're right that we say in Thrive 2, there's only like four countries left that don't have a Rothschild central bank. That's how they've been doing World War Three is financially. And, you know, I don't know if you've heard that term or seen the documents on uh, on silent weapons for quiet wars. They're very sophisticated yeah. now They they know that that they can't just roll tanks into the streets and take over, particularly America, with with how many people are armed and, and like freedom. Uh, so they're doing it through all these other ways. They're through taking over uh, people's um, finances, through taking over energy, through taking over education, through taking over media, now through taking over medicine. And it just goes on and on. So um, I, I say a line in Thrive 2 where I say the struggle for thriving now is not going to be between nation states or between religions or genders or classes, as it has been in the past. Now it's between those who want to be free and those who would continue to try to steal our freedom from us. And it's never been more clear to me anyway uh, than it is right now with this attempted COVID takeover of the world. Mm -hmm. There's a, a question about to what extent the conspiracy against freedom is sort of a single hierarchically organized entity and whether on the other hand we could see things as a vastly more kind of complex array of struggles with all sorts of violators of freedom violating people's freedom in all sorts of different ways and very often the violators of freedom end up competing with each other and even going to war with each other you know if we, we hit the history of the world wars we see the all of these countries as they go to war, they become a lot less free. For instance, in, in World War One, uh, Eugene Debs had to run for president from a prison cell simply because he opposed U.S. entry into the war, and that was a crime. And, right. Uh, and we all know that we had a total wartime state and all out. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess you'd, you'd call it a, a state of total war during World War Two with concentration camps for Japanese people. And uh, everybody mobilized to work for the state and the state in charge of all of uh, private enterprise. And so it, it does seem to me that maybe what we're seeing right now is a situation where the Western bankster cabal is afraid of the rise of the communist Chinese, who are only quasi communist, really. And that both of those two forces and then maybe the Russians off to one side and and other forces uh, also are all kind of getting ready for another war because of the, uh, the the void in power that's going to be created by the decline of the U.S. as a global hegemon and, and then the economic rise of China. So I, I'm wondering if maybe the, it's true that China is hardly a freedom lover's paradise. Uh, however, as a kind of a stay at home, mind your own business empire that generally restricts its attacks on freedom to within its own borders, uh, the rise of China and the multipolar world that may be coming out of it might actually not be such a bad thing. It might actually restrict 
the Western one world people from uh, achieving their objective of taking over the entire world. And my, my interpretation of COVID is, of course, that it's a, it was a, a bio attack on China by neoconservatives in the Trump administration. And it blew back, whether intentionally, probably intentionally, actually, um, some Ron Unz, who's written the best stuff on this, thinks it was by accident. In any case, that's I, I think we have to see the war on freedom as an issue of war and peace. Uh, where there's war, there's always a huge rollback of freedom. And where there's durable peace, that freedom can actually begin to flower. And so I, I wonder if, if you think that, that peace activism should be a big part of the freedom struggle right now. Well, I think it's a really interesting and nuanced uh, question, because um, I think if if China were also willing to really be a cooperative partner, uh, you know, based on business and human rights in, in the world, uh, in a multipolar world, that would be fantastic. Unfortunately, I, my sources mostly tell me that the uh, that China is the superpower of choice for the deep state. They want to collapse uh, the U.S. And uh, I think Biden is a puppet of, of China. Um, and so is Harris and, and um, Newsom and a lot of others. But they, if they can collapse the U.S., then they get their one world government. And they don't want like a, a freedom loving bunch of patriotic American soldiers. They want the same thing they've got in China, where everybody is obedient to the state. They've got the social credit score. They can do anything that they want to you in terms of energy, behavior, freedom and all that, dependent on how obedient you are. So I that's why I emphasize so much in Thrive 1 and 2 that I actually don't think we're going to make it as a species unless we wake up fast enough to a universal morality. And by that, I mean, you know, you know, a long time ago, it's just whoever had the biggest club. And then the church came in with some sense of ethics. But, you know, all the people disagreed about what God's word was. So they fought the Crusades and, you know, killed millions and hundreds of millions of people. And then the state came in, you know, with uh, the rule of law. But the, everybody's got an idea that's different about what's the rule of law. And then different states are fighting with each other and fighting within the, the state. And, and the state became the most murderous entity in human history with you know, over 200 million deaths within their own borders just in the 20th century alone. So I think that we're, as Martin Luther King said, we're, we're heading the, mar- the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. We've come a long way from the pharaohs to democracy, but we're not there yet. And obviously, I, I, I believe our democracy is, is, first of all, it's just mob rule, even if it were honest. But it's completely dishonest now, even in the United States. And the election fraud forensic evidence is vast. That, and that'll be coming out in the, in the next few months. So I, I believe where we haven't gone yet is that what's a, a scientifically based, coherent, logical Ethical, universal morality is the non-aggression principle, simply that no one is allowed to initiate force or fraud against another person except in true self-defense. And that's the one thing that I've found traveling all over the world for decades. The one thing that I've found that everybody agrees to is that they don't want to be violated against their will. So, hey, maybe in the same way that the Taurus, we're just discovering that the Taurus is the the blueprint for a sustainable system at all scales of the universe. That's a big discovery that we hadn't gotten till now. 
the other big one, I think, is that the non-aggression principle is the only way that we're going to get along with each other in our families, in our communities, in our nations, ultimately when the nations disappear, with other people a- across the planet and with uh, with other species from other planets and other dimensions throughout the cosmos, I think the main thing we're missing and our greatest hope is waking up to the non-aggression principle. Well, I, I think the non-aggression principle is a terrific uh, heuristic device that kind of boils ethics down to its most basic components and, and yes. lays it out there in a very clear way. Uh, so I'm with you on that. As far as having it obeyed and enforced, I think that people did actually largely obey and enforce the non-aggression principle uh, throughout most of human history and to some extent still do at the smaller scale. Yes. Uh, tribal peoples, hunters and gatherers and, and others, uh, very simple agriculturalists who were in small communities where everybody knows everybody, which is how most humans always lived. Uh, a few hundred people at most, uh, half of them related to each other at least. Uh, in that kind of situation, it's not that hard to make sure that an aggressor is punished and people know that aggressors will be punished. So there are some pretty strict limits to aggression. But now we've got the state as the uh, the bull goose aggressor <laughs> that punish, says it's, it's legitimate because it punishes all of the lesser aggressors. This is the sort of Hobbesian uh, principle uh, of the Leviathan state. And it doesn't seem to work very well. We've got aggression, as you said, out of control, hundreds of millions of people murdered by by states. Uh, so how, how do we find a way to actually have an enforced and obeyed non-aggression principle in a huge world with lots and lots of strangers interacting with each other? Well, I think that you're right, that the there have been cultures in the past um, that have lived uh, very peacefully. I think, you know, in in Tibet, in uh, South America, in uh, in North America. I, I had a wonderful series of conversations with Yvonne Peter, who we featured in Thrive One. He's the youngest ever uh, chief of a Native American tribe up in Alaska. And he, d- he described the history, you know, thousands of years. They've gotten along very peacefully with amongst themselves and with their environment. They really know how to take care of the caribou and the seals. And so they, they never destroy an ecosystem, even though they, they need to access it to eat and build and that type of thing. So there have been glimpses of it throughout history. But as soon as you uh, enable and empower uh, a centralized authority, um, then everything goes off a cliff from there. And government is the most obvious example because everybody keeps waiting for this enlightened leaders or the Republicans are going to do it or the Democrats or the libertarians or somebody's going to come in and do it right. No, by definition, government is corrupt because government wouldn't last. I mean, this is ironic. We're talking about it today because this is when their their so-called their budget had to be they had to raise the ceiling on the budget in the U.S., which is totally arbitrary. They're just, you know, printing money. But they um, they wouldn't exist for a day without the ability to take other people's money, potentially at the point of a gun and against their will. And that obviously is a is a a violation of the non-aggression principle. So every single government ever has been corrupt because it's based on that. There's a real difference between a ruler 
and a leader. And the difference is easy. The, the, the ruler rules by coercion and the leader leads people who want to follow voluntarily because they're inspired by the person's you know, wisdom and behavior. And so in terms of how it would work, most people think, okay, if we get rid of the government, you know, there goes mommy and daddy. Who's going to take care of the roads and the poor and the sick and the children, educating the children and so forth? Well, where's the evidence that the government does any of those things better than private institutions who have to compete in a free market to establish a not only a reputation of priceworthiness and reliability and honesty and so forth, but they also would be held totally accountable. Each individual, no corporate liability protection. So each individual is accountable for not violating other individuals or destroying ecosystems. And so then you've got independent competing security organizations, dispute resolution organizations, insurance organizations. It just goes on and on. And so the best would rise to the top of a free market system that where everybody's rights were protected and where everybody was held accountable for any violation. And then the, the law would emerge out of that. All laws would come out of simply the protection of the non-aggression principle rather than, you know, politicians getting together with their cronies and putting in tens of thousands of arbitrary laws that, of course, are just going to be self-serving and expand their power and control. Well, that might work if we had a spiritually developed world where the sort of private arbiters and enforcers and, and uh, the, the people that you could turn to for dispute resolution were uh, spiritually developed rather than purely uh, commercially oriented. And indeed, this has been the way of the world in, in many places. In Morocco, for example, where I, I studied medieval Moroccan saints, legends and uh, Islamic culture, one of the roles of the Sufi saints, and these would be people who could either be extremely pious religious scholars who'd gotten an aura of holiness, or it could be in some cases rural, uh, not relatively unlettered people who had achieved a high spiritual state and often would be credited with uh, miracles or psychic phenomena breaking out around them. Such people were valued because they were seen as dispute arbiters uh, par excellence. They would be totally uh, neutral and fair and just if you came to them to get your dispute worked out. And interestingly, that's also kind of the Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him's job, before he became a prophet, he was Al-Amin, the trustworthy one to whom everyone would come if they needed a dispute result. So that idea of private dispute resolution, rather than having a Leviathan state um, stomping you <laughs> if you got out of line, is it's a great idea. But I look around at the world today and I see the privatization of things having it's a double edged sword. And yeah, sure, it's great that there's dispute resolution outside of courts. On the other hand, we have these armies of mercenaries and private spy organizations, uh, you know, Blackwater, and a lot of these people, Chris Kyle, and, and all, all of these these crazy psychopathic mercenaries have seen they can make huge piles of money by going out and basically creating murder for hire type organizations and taking over the role of state militaries, which for all of their horrors. <laughs> at least were supposedly uh, serving the public interest intended to attract at least some sort of patriotic people who cared about the general good. So 
I, I'm sort of only half with you on the idea that privatization in itself is the answer to dispute resolution and policing and soldiering and things like that. Uh, I, th I think that it will work if we can raise the spiritual level, raise the consciousness of everybody involved. If not, it might actually make things worse. Well, let's explore that for a minute, because I think this is the uh, the major mind trap that keeps people from really diving in and exploring and understanding um, the non-aggression principle and this, this universal morality, because the given that we've got supposedly like 3% uh, of the population worldwide is psychopaths or sociopaths, the worst thing we could possibly do is create uh, a hierarchical authoritarian structure where the people who would most easily rise to the top would be the ones who did, had no compunctions about lying, cheating, stealing, and murdering. And lo and behold, that's exactly what we've done. And, and no wonder yeah. we're in the situation where we're now being ruled by a bunch of psychopaths worldwide who are trying to now capture the entire thing. So where I would disagree with you is that um, I, if, if we have to depend on a critical mass of enlightened beings to survive as a species, I think we're done. I think what we need to, I think our lifeline is having enlightened beings reveal an enlightened law, the basis of enlightened law, and then, then and if the if the law is that no one can initiate force against anyone else except in self-defense, then, OK, now you start educating the population to that. And then you ask people, OK, who disagrees with that? Well, anybody that disagrees with that, you know, is going to be a problem. So you're going to need to keep an eye on them. And so if if no individual or no. Uh, allowed to violate, then. What would happen is that any individual who did offend against their neighbor or a corporation that was uh, stealing or uh, or murdering people through uh, through uh, excess pollution, uh, stuff like that, they would be held accountable to the non-aggression principle. And they would not only lose their business because it would be uh, the, every, all their customers would know that people don't trust them anymore. They would lose their insurance. They would lose their, their, their partners and they would be ostracized. And basically this is what happened in the native American tribe. If somebody uh, violated someone else, the tribe would come together and have a healing session with that person. And if the healing session didn't work, then they were banned from the tribe. They were out on their own in the wilderness until they could come back and demonstrate trustworthiness. So we, it's fundamentally that idea is based on individual accountability and the non-aggression principle, then there's not a state to hire them. There's not a state to send them out on a mission to kill other people um, with, you know, with, not in self-defense, and they wouldn't have any immunity after they had done it. So even if a, a, some group was amassing arms with the intent of using them in defense, word would get out and the entire culture would want to uh, to disband that group. And the spotlight would go on them. And I think that they would be out of business or incarcerated very quickly. 
I'm writing a book on this right now, about two thirds of the way through. And that's the key thing is addressing each one of the the obvious questions that comes up for all of us. Yeah. Roads and what about security and what about. That not only are, can things work without the government, but they would all work much better. Okay, well, I sure look forward to your book, and I hope to have you back on to to talk about it. Um, and again, I, I I think you're you're largely right, but I, th- I think a certain libertarian model of everything being commercialized uh, may not work so well. As Robert Hare showed in his book Snakes in Suits, the psychopaths rise to the top of corporate hierarchies just as much as they rise to the top of government hierarchies, and government hierarchies oscillate between psychopaths and public servants, people who see themselves as, as serving the greater good of their community are often attracted to positions in, in governance. And even the platonic guardians uh, are quite often, uh, some of them are driven by a sincere desire to protect uh, and defend their own group against uh, all enemies, foreign and domestic. And, a tro- yep. of course, some, and some of them end up doing terrible unethical things in pursuit of defending their group. Yeah, uh, it's it's a big mess. And so whatever what you're advocating, actually, it, it couldn't be any worse than what we've got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. OK, uh, so so uh, we, we only have 10 minutes left. And one another interesting thing, along with the covid thing, the other thing that happened sort of right around the time or maybe even a little after the time that Thrive 2 was finishing up is this weird sort of quasi push for ufo disclosure in the mainstream media with the new york times basically telling us that well yeah it looks like maybe all these ufo stories and crash retrieval retrieval stories and this sort of thing might actually be true but we we can't fully confirm this because if we did you would all be screaming and yelling about how we've been lying to you for the last uh, 75 years <laughs> so maybe you could comment on that where are we going towards ufo disclosure well, I think we're definitely going towards UFO disclosure because the phenomenon is just getting stronger and stronger all over the world. And there's more and more independent truth media that that is reporting on it. But the this government disclosure uh, in the U.S., uh, I think, is uh, almost completely bogus. They've needed to acknowledge the existence of you know a lot of video and so forth. But I my perception is that it is their attempt to uh, take over and control the narrative because they know the truth is coming out. So they want to do it their way and they want to dispense only what they want people to know. And it's not going to, you know, there's there's no uh, video, there's no beings, there's no energy devices and all the stuff that could be coming out. I'm good friends with Danny Sheehan, who is now the the, uh, counsel for both Luis Elizondo and Stephen Greer. And he's good at getting to the truth. So I'm looking forward to speaking ongoing with him to whatever degree he can tell me what he's actually discovering uh, about, you know, what what's uh, what's baloney and what's actual truth coming out. But I don't think we're going to get anything of real significance from the U.S. government in its current state. Well, it was funny how the one of the New York Times articles basically admitted that the big problem is how do you tell the people news this huge uh, that you've been lying about for so long without right. destroying their confidence in you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, that wouldn't be a problem in a stateless society. No one would have the authority 
to uh, to keep these secrets from the entire population and steal all the benefit from it and put it into their own special project. Right. Yeah, that's true. If if we hadn't been uh, a totally militarized, you know, ultra statist kind of society right at the end of World War Two and all these structures sort of took hold and this this UFO thing, whatever it is, uh, got going, you know, maybe things wouldn't be as crazy as they are now. Uh, so let's see. Uh, do I have any other uh, issues I wanted to, to hash out here with you while, while I have you? Uh, again, I, I, I watched this film twice and, uh, and, and really loved it. Okay, one, one issue is of the free energy uh, devices that are shown in the film and then in Thrive One as well. Which of them you think have the greatest potential for kind of a breakout? Well, certainly the one in Zimbabwe uh, with that young inventor, Maxwell, uh, mm-hmm. and that there's uh, he's been approached uh, by numerous potential clients and licensees from all over the world uh, since the film came out. And that so that's in process. He's really struggling health wise, um, but I'm very hopeful. I'm in touch with him every few days. And I'm really hopeful that that will be out soon. Um, he's. He's got a whole bunch of them, you know, ready to ship to Switzerland and South America and the U.S. and other countries. But the government's been hassling about shipping them. So he took a bunch of them into another another country and then they confiscated it and and wanted bribe money to give them back. You know, it's just the usual mess. But there's there's a couple of other technologies. One that we showed in Thrive, too, it's a hydrogen technology. And that one, I think, will will be soon because. Uh, it would have been out by now, except that the with the COVID travel ban, that particular one is in Thailand. And mm-hmm. uh, we've got uh, investors and engineers uh, and major players in the international energy businesses just waiting to go there. I've got one friend who's a, a, a runs, he's in his 80s, has for years run a, a, an international energy business. And they started in uh, coal and and oil and nuclear, and then they realized that was a big problem. So they went to renewables, and then they found out renewables really don't work very well. And so they've been following Nassim's work and my work for for a long time. So they've known the free energy devices were coming, and they're just poised. They've they've put aside a lot of cash, um, and they're ready and to and they've got the manufacturing, the clientele, a lot of security, uh, and all the money to do what's needed. So. Supposedly, uh, that travel ban is is scheduled to lift within the next two weeks. So I have very high hopes that that one can get underway. And then there's another one that we fully filmed uh, that uh, another solid state free energy device, no moving parts, puts out the current device puts out uh, 200 kilowatts of energy with no uh, no pollution, no noise, no moving parts. And so that's a really exciting one that has been. Uh, vetted by a major communist country, and these inventors were offered over a billion dollars for the technology. Fortunately, they refused it um, because they want to actually give it to the world rather than to one military. So those are just three technologies of about half a dozen that I know of that I think will be – the toothpaste will be out out of the tube within the next year or two, I believe. And then once they, it's just like the UFO thing. Now that they realize they can't control it, they're trying to do the, the to, now they realize they can't stop it. They're trying to control it. Same thing with uh, 
legalizing marijuana. And it's the same thing with free energy. I think within a few years, it's going to be like the cell phones. It's going to be everywhere all over the planet because it's people want it so much. It's so convenient. It'll handle all the pollution problems and all that kind of stuff. So I'm very optimistic that we're not out of the woods. There's still inventors getting threatened and taken out and so forth. But we're bringing security and major funding and major organizations into this in a way that's never happened before. So I'm very hopeful about it soon. Well, that is really exciting. It's it's funny how I, re- I remember the most prominent sort of hit pieces against Thrive One um, uh, argued that, A, uh, there's no such thing as free energy. It's impossible. These are all a bunch of shysters who are, who are fooling uh, right. Foster Gamble and blah, blah, blah. And, and by the way, uh, if there was free energy, it might not be such, such a great thing because uh, it would actually increase the drain on all the other resources, et cetera, et cetera, which is actually what I've heard from Gordon Duff, senior editor of Veterans Today, a veteran of a certain three-letter alphabet agency who claims to have been close to the MJ-12 world, that what the MJ-12 world tells him in their memos is that we can't release free energy because it would lead to a huge population boom and it would drain all the other resources and cause eco collapse. And so free energy would actually be bad, which is sounds insane, doesn't it? With, with, yeah, uh, I don't buy that our, for a minute. I think that's the, that's the company line. That's the military yeah. line. They don't want, they don't want to share it. The, you know, it's just yeah. like education. The, 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 the more education cultures get, the more the population goes down um, because people aren't struggling just to survive and having all these kids and having no birth control and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be the same thing with energy. When energy is abundant like that, uh, I think you know, we won't be uh, dealing with pollution. We won't be fighting wars over trying to steal other people's oil. I, 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 I think that that argument is going to disappear very quickly. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, by the way, Gordon does also agree with you that it's uh, it sounds like self-serving BS to him, too. OK, <laughs> and he's all for disclosure. Uh, OK, so, and he's I, I don't agree with him about everything, but I, I tend to agree about that one. Yeah. Um, so we we only have a minute left here and uh, your your book is two thirds done. So when can I expect to bring you back on to talk about it? Well, I don't know when the book will be out because we're super busy with other things. So let me spend that one minute telling. First of all, if people uh, I strongly encourage you to go watch both of these films. If you haven't seen them already, go to thriveon.com. And you'll also see there um, I have a show um, like this one of uh, Kevin's where we dive deep into the issues, uh, you know, three Saturdays uh, a month uh, live. And then also the main thing that we're working on now is we're creating a decentralized global platform for uh, ethical activists to connect with each other, to share best practices, to uh, to increase their reach, learn from each other, and then synergize on ethical activism on all these different sectors and topics worldwide. And that we're in beta right now, that should be launching in the next couple of months. That sounds fantastic. Well, I uh, second you on all of that. People really need to see the Thrive movies if they haven't yet. You're really in for a treat. These are uh, just wonderful, uh, immersive experiences, and they're great for community building. Uh, show show the movie yes. in your public library if people are still allowed to gather in the same room wherever you are. Uh, <laughs> maybe that'd be a great way to celebrate the uh, end of the pandemic lockdowns is to get together and watch a Thrive movie. So, Kevin, last time I saw you in person was in Santa Cruz when you gave a wonderful talk here. Are you coming back anytime soon? Well, I was back for the 9-11 Truth Film Festival in Oakland. We actually did that in real life this year and maybe again next year, inshallah. 
Okay. Well, next time you get to Northern California, let me know. We got to get Scottage here. That sounds like a plan. I'd love to come uh, talk some more. So I guess we hit the end of the show. Uh, thank you so much, Foster Gamble. It's always a pleasure talking with you, watching your movies, and uh, I'm looking forward to your book and maybe in-person conversation someday. You're welcome. Thanks, Kevin. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye. That's Foster Gamble, one of the uh, interesting, inspirational, leading lights of our time in the alternative thought world. This is Revolution back. Radio at FreedomFlips.com. We'll be right back after this message.